Welcome to the Run for God Run Club, where you will find God in a runner's space. Welcome to the Run for God Run Club. This is your one stop each week to be motivated and inspired to get off the couch and onto the running trail where you can, in turn, inspire others to do the same. Let's learn, laugh, and leap into running together, giving God the glory for what we are able to do in His name. Amen. Well, I am your running host, Dean Thompson. Are we too comfortable? Well, we're going to explore that question in depth today. And then I'm going to explain how running, being a Christian, and being a pack rat are all similar, at least in one sense. And joining me for those stories and so much more, once again, it is Run for God founder, Mitchell Hollis. Thanks for having me, Dean. So you were in the big town of Mayberry this weekend. I was in Mayberry You're just weekend. all things Andy Griffith now. I am. You're doing a, a Sunday school. You're doing a... You're going through the gospel according to Andy in Sunday school. That's right. And then you went and ran a race in Mayberry this weekend. Did you grow up watching Andy Griffith's show? You know, I didn't. Really? We did not watch Andy Griffith in my show, as crazy as that is. As much as I love the show, I still think I think it's the best sitcom ever made. Well, there's, there's a lesson. Well, I mean, it's why they're writing a Bible study. There's a lesson in almost every episode. Oh, yeah. That was kind of their M.O. Yeah. back then is that Andy Griffith wanted there to be a, a common sense lesson. In each so, but yeah, I I watched it growing up. But when my kids were little, we bought the, you know, back when everybody had DVD players, we bought the box set, yeah. and we watched it over and over yeah. and over. And uh, yeah, that's got to be one of the, it's in the top three, yeah, of my favorite shows of all time. It's amazing how you can watch the same. It's it's like it's a little bit like the Bible. You know, yeah. in the Bible, you can read the same thing over and over again and get a little something different out of it. Yeah. Every time I watch it, I forget about one little thing that was in that. Well, we've episode. talked about a few episodes on here. Sure. Yeah. So, but when they got to color, you know, I didn't. I wasn't a big fan of the color ones. I yeah. like the black and white. Yeah. So, uh, so how was the race this weekend? It was okay. You had a big crowd. It was. It was a big crowd. It was a fun crowd. It was just, it was great to be there. You know how those things are. Yeah. Every time we get together with a bunch of run club folks, yeah. it's just so much fun. And uh, we met on Friday night and just, uh, it was just such a blessing. Gay kind of poured her heart out and then she came out the next day. And um, I don't know if she wants me to tell this on here, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So Gay, you know how Gay worries about everything, right? Mm-hmm. So Gay forgets her bib. And so it's pretty, it's getting close to race time and she realizes she has forgotten it. So she has to drive all the way back to the place they rented and back. And she, so she got back after the race started. So she started after everybody else did. Well, as I don't know the the way this whole thing worked, I, I only ran the first quarter mile and I dropped out. I had, I've got a hip problem that it wasn't well. Yeah. So I stopped and I turned around and just walked back toward the starting line. Well, I saw Gay as I was walking back toward the starting line. And, you know, she did not have a look of panic on her face. I was really? so surprised. And I just told her, I said, look, they're not that far ahead of you. They're just at the bottom of the hill. Just just have fun with this thing. Yeah. And she was just content. And I was so That's proud good. of her for being so content. Yeah. And um, she she was the last finisher. But, you know, when she got done, and I, I told her this because it was so impressive. When she got done, normally, what would Gay say when she got done? I'm so sorry you guys had to wait oh, for yeah. me. Yeah. But, you know, she didn't say that. Yeah. So, do they keep the finish line up and everything? They kept – well, some people were still there. Yeah. They did keep the finish line up. Good. 
And uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, I, I, I ran over to them just before, <laughs> about 20 minutes before, because it looked like they were taking everything down. And I said, Is, are you guys are going to hang around, aren't you? Oh, yeah, we're not leaving until the last person finishes. And there was a pretty good crowd there yeah. for her to finish. And when she got through, she said, she, all she said was, thank you for staying for me. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I've seen Gay just, she seems so happy and content in her running right now. And I'm just, yeah. it's just joyful to watch. Yeah. Well, I opened my mouth last week and uh, I kind of <laughs> threw out a, what, what, and I'm, I'm glad I did because I want to. But I, I you know, she's going to do the Mississippi River Marathon mm-hmm. in February. And I said, I'm going to do it with you. And then as soon as I said it, I was like, what did you just do? But I want to do it with her. I, I think that would be fun. I think um, so, too. To do it with Gay. You know, I was I was kind of beside her early on in her running. And, you know, she – I'll never forget the words, I hate you, Mitchell Hollis. <laughs> and that was – it was endearing. It wasn't It wasn't me. But we. I remember we were doing heels. And it was like, I don't know, week 10 or something like that. We were going up this big hill. It was the – it was the first time she'd ever did. It was the very first Run for God 5K challenge. And we were going up this hill, and I just remember Gay going, I hate you, Mitchell Hollis. This <laughs> hurts so bad. And uh, to see where she is now from where she started is just incredible. So kudos to everything she's Kudos to everybody. Yeah. Everything she's been through in between too yeah. makes it even greater. Yeah. 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 She's a tripper. Yeah. She's, she's what – she's the embodiment of what Run for God is. And she's not proud of her. Absolutely. As well as all those other people who were there, like I think we had twenty three, yeah, that were there. Crowd. I saw the pictures. Um, in addition to some spouses that didn't run, yeah. And so uh, it, we we had we had thirty five people there, probably at least. And uh, it was from from um, oh, I'm so bad with names, but the the, the one in the wheelchair, um, she she did the five k pushing him in the wheelchair, and it was fun because Debbie did the five k, so I got through. And since I didn't run the half marathon that I had intended to run, that gave me an opportunity because they started at a different time to run with Debbie. Mm. So I got to run the 5K with Debbie, and that was a, that was a joy yeah. for me too. So it was a really good weekend. Good. good. Glad you all had a good time. Yeah. Well, we had a Facebook post from this past week um, that I liked. It came from John Sandifer. Um, you probably know that name if you're on the Facebook page frequently. He said, a good night's sleep, check. Proper fueling, check. A mindset to push it all the way, check. A grateful heart, check. And he says, after struggling through a tough run last week that I had to cut short, I told myself that the tough days make the good days so much better. Well, today was one of those better days. After pulling back on mileage a bit this week to let the body recover and absorb the training, I was able to hit a 20-miler today that was mostly strong. The last couple of miles were still admittedly tough, but I made it with a smile on my face. Or was that a grimace? (laughs) There are certainly times in life to push on through obstacles, but sometimes when we struggle, it is best to pull back, recover, pray, and then hit it again. Sometimes our faith life is like that too. When we feel like we've lost faith or that we've messed up badly, sometimes it is best to pull back, recover, pray, and hit it again. The redeeming power of God is a mighty thing, and thankfully his mercies are new every day. And he shares the Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What a great perspective, isn't it? 
John's a, a joyful guy, and we, of course, he was on one of our podcasts. I wish I would have looked up the number. He was on one of our podcasts, though, and so his his story. He told his story, and it's a touching story. Mm-hmm. He has overcome some things for sure. Um, and you know what? Th- this this that he's talking about here. I'm going through the same thing right now. Sure. Do you push through, or do you, you know, ease up and? Do you take a break? What What do you do? Sometimes right. you just don't know. So what happened Saturday? With me? I haven't talked to you since then. So yeah. yeah. What happened? Well, I've got some kind of pain in my hip. Right. And when I go downhill, it is excruciating. Mm. I can run uphill and it really, it's not too bad. It's definitely bearable. And flat, it's, eh, but downhill, it is awful. And so the the way this race ran, it's, a little, it's flat for about 300 meters. And then you turn left and it's just downhill for mm. a while. And it just hurt so bad. And I thought, I'm, I'm going to do something that I regret if I keep going. Sure. So, uh, so I decided to pull back. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of in that boat now. I don't, I don't know whether – I've got a really important race a, a month from now, a little less than a month from now. And I don't know – I'm do. not sure what to do. Yeah. And it's, that's always a hard thing. Um, but it, it is what it is. Um, it's just a daily question of what do I do today? I'll see how it feels this afternoon when it's time to run. Maybe it'll feel better. Maybe it won't. If it feels better, I'll run a little bit more. If it doesn't, I'll, I'll take it easy again sure. today like I did yesterday. But, um, you know, but this situation is a lot like um, the way we feel a lot of times in our faith journey. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times in our faith journey, we're not sure what to do. Mm-hmm. And we feel like we're doing good things. And, sometimes, and a lot of times we are doing good things. But we're not sure we're on God's path. And, um, you know, he, he brings it up in here. The, the thing we have to do in that case is pray, mm-hmm. is to find God will tell you. He will yeah. make it clear. But sometimes he wants to hear you be, he wants to hear you pray multiple times right. to get there. Well, sometimes we've got to get quiet. I mean, we got to yep. we got to get to a place where we can hear God. Cause, I mean, like we've talked about so many times on this podcast is we're just so busy. Yeah. And our schedules don't allow us to get quiet and hear from God. And so we're hearing, we're hearing the inputs of society. We're hearing the inputs of the media. We're hearing the inputs of our own thoughts. We never slow down enough to, to hear God's input. And uh, a lot of times that can be loud, but we've got to be quiet in order for it to be loud. That's right. That's right. We had a trivia question last week that was a multiple choice question. That's our first trivia question that's ever been a multiple choice question. And the question was, what percentage of Americans has completed a marathon? And the answers were 10%, 5%, or 1%. And I was fascinated by this. I had no idea. Uh, we matter of fact, we talked about this when we gathered on Friday night. Somebody asked that question, mm-hmm. and somebody had an answer and I was like, well, I, I can't, I know what the answer is, but I can't say because <laughs> I can't reveal it because yeah. we're, we're revealing it Monday. So anyway, um, the percentage of Americans that have completed a marathon is less than 1%. So less than one, this is according to run repeat. Um, if you're a marathoner, you're, you're pretty special. Um, each year, 1.1 million people run a marathon worldwide. That's only 0.01% of the world population. I thought that was, I would have thought it was higher. I would have thought it was closer to 5%. Um, I thought this was interesting. Some more things here. The fastest states for marathoners, uh, Massachusetts, Washington, and Indiana. 
so, why those states. So are last right. night I was going through these. Yeah. And we read this on Sunday nights, and and Lane was trying to figure out. Is this the states with the fastest average marathon times, or are these the states with the fastest marathoners? These are supposed to be the states with the fastest marathoners. Okay. Yes. So that's where they're from. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, but it, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you would expect Massachusetts to be fast because of the Boston Marathon, I mm-hmm. guess, in that case, right? Um, yeah. Uh, the slowest, Hawaii, Florida, and Alaska. Um, See, Florida Florida kind of surprised me. Really? It's yeah. so hot and humid though. That's true. But so, I mean there's a I mean it's a pretty fit state. Yeah. So you would think that, Well, they're an older state though. That's true. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That but uh, that's what according to this yeah. website, you know, you can take that with <laughs> And the highest percentage of marathoners, um, Washington DC has a higher percentage of marathoners. and that makes sense. You got a lot of high achievers there in Washington, D.C., of course, mm-hmm. and a lot of those folks tend to be marathoners. And then Hawaii. Uh, and then the third was just blew me away Vermont. I guess it's a percentage thing, so, but I yeah. guess there's a lot of people in Vermont who, um, who run marathons as a percentage. Well, it's funny that the second most, the state with the second most amount of marathoners, Hawaii, also has the slowest marathoners. See, that makes <laughs> sense, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you yeah. talk about the masses, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, the lowest percentage, Kansas. I don't understand why Kansas. You would think there'd be a lot of. I mean, Kansas. It's nice and flat out there. You'd think there'd be a lot of runners. I out guess there. everybody's too busy farming. I guess so. And then New Jersey, not a surprise. And then West Virginia. Um, so I don't know. I would have thought more people would have run a marathon though. So I don't know. It's, it surprised me. Interesting. Upward Sports equips churches to run self-sustaining sports ministries in their communities. Whether you're a sports fanatic or on staff at a church, Upward Sports will give you all the tools you need to run a first-class sports ministry that allows you to reach families in your community. Upward Sports offers basketball, soccer, flag football, cheerleading, volleyball, baseball, and softball through league and camp offerings. At Upward Sports, we want to help your church make a difference and give you increased opportunities to share the gospel. Learn more today at Upward.org. That's Upward.org. All right, we are back. And we're still looking for your story. Yes, you. I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. You listening that haven't submitted your story yet. I'm looking. Now, listen. That thinks their story's no good. And let me tell you something. I heard a story this weekend, and she promised me she was going to write it down and submit it. But um, one of my, a good friend of mine was there at the Mayberry Mar- Marathon, and she told me a fantastic story. So I know that's one. Tammy, if you're listening, <laughs> write that story. Send it in. <laughs> Because it's awesome. Uh, all right. Ice baths. What do you think about ice baths? I love them. You know, the studies are mixed on ice baths. I don't care what the studies say. <laughs> they work. They work for me. They work for a lot of people I know. And if anything, it, it could be just mental. But and it could be placebo. But if you think it makes you heal faster and you feel better, then it helps. Yeah, I, and so I agree study, with that. My study's clear. Yeah, 
you know, I'm not, and I'm not convinced that it's placebo. I, I, I don't either. I realize, I, don't either. Yeah. I realize that they're, they, they can find no scientific evidence to prove, but here's what I know. I know that cryotherapy is a thing, right? Sure. People yeah. pay money to go get cold on purpose and they feel better afterwards. And so that's all an ice bath is. Well, think about it. When you, when you hit your arm on something or you, you get a bruise, what do you do? Put ice you on. put ice on it because a bruise is what? Inflammation. Swelling. Mm-hmm. And so if it works for that, then it seems to, you would seem to think that it would work for sore muscles. Um, yeah, it does. Yep. It, I'm just going to say it, it does work. It definitely now, makes me less sore. Yeah. Some people... They don't think it works because they can't stand the idea of sitting down in a, a tub full of ice water. And I get that. But to say it doesn't work, I think, is a false narrative. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I was reading recently, somebody said that they have just chronic pain, just general chronic pain. And, you know, there's a lot of people who live with chronic pain. And they take an ice bath every day. And that they say that it, they can't hardly live without their, their ice bath. Well, you're seeing these cold plunges and everything. Mm-hmm. Now, it's kind of like when um, – it's kind of like I was wearing compression socks before compression yeah. socks were a thing. Yeah. Mine were the socks that they give you before you go into surgery. Yeah. And, you know, I was doing ice baths before ice baths were a thing. Now they have the on compression socks, they have these fancy, cool, it's a designer thing. Yeah. And now they're coming out with the cold plunges and all that. But, man, you've been doing this stuff yeah. way before all that That's stuff. That's right. That's right. Well, I don't think they're magic, but I do think they help. So. Sure. Now, Lane used to alternate between – he would do a, an ice bath and a Epsom salt, Epsom salt yeah. like back-to-back, right? Yeah, if he – if he if he, if you could, you could say, Lane, cleaning your room is going to make you faster. He and would he would clean his room three times a day. So, <laughs> Lane's probably a bad example because he would do everything that he had ever heard of yeah. to try to speed up recovery. So, that, yeah, he did. He would alternate ice baths and Epsom salt. And sometimes he would do two of each. My goodness. My goodness. But he swore that it helped. Well, he's one of those placebo guys. I'm sure of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) All right. Well, we have another story from the most prolific run club member (laughs) when it comes to writing stories. It comes from Rhonda Williams. And the story is called Too Comfortable. Have we gotten too comfortable? Have you ever looked out the window before a run and saw that it was raining, so you decided to skip your run? Reluctant to do speed or hill workouts because they're hard? There have been days when I had to talk myself into going to church on Sunday because I was tired and sore from the long run the day before. And I have to confess, I have let a phone call go to voicemail because I knew the person on the other end was going to ask me to volunteer for something. My comfort and convenience were more important to me than helping out. Does any of this sound familiar? A seed must be broken down in order for a plant to grow from it. There can be no fruit-producing plant without first breaking down the seed. The same is true for our muscles. They must be broken down before they can grow. That's why we rest at least one day a week and why we have a recovery week when we're doing regular hill and speedwork sessions. The intense workouts break down muscle tissue, getting it ready for growth, and this breakdown causes soreness. The muscle is not rebuilt during workouts, it's rebuilt during rest periods, and it builds back stronger. The more intense the workout, the more intense the soreness, and the more important the rest period. 
Intense workouts are not always fun and can be painful, a downright suffer fest, but we do them because they work. We use creams, rest, and ice baths to lessen the soreness. God does this with his children. He breaks us down to get us ready for growth. Jesus uses the example of pruning a vine, and it can be painful and sometimes confusing. We wonder why God allows us to go through hard times, why we have to suffer. He does it to challenge us just as we challenge our muscles. It's in the hard times that we are broken down and then he builds us back stronger and wiser. He provides comfort during the difficult times to help us through it, just like we use creams and ice baths to soothe our sore muscles. In order to be a successful runner, you must follow a carefully designed plan customized for your fitness level and goal, and you must get comfortable with being uncomfortable. In much the same way, God has carefully and thoughtfully designed a plan to help you learn and grow in your faith, and there will be times when that plan is very uncomfortable, but He is with you every step of the way. During the difficult times, take comfort in knowing that nothing is random, and God is always in control and always at work for your good. Trust Him, persevere, and reap the reward when the challenge period is over, ask for what you need. And he will soothe your aching soul. Rhonda's just good at this, isn't she? She is. She is. I, I, I like this story. The analogy is fantastic. I love the uh, simplicity of it. it yeah, it really is simple. I, I was have, having a conversation yesterday. Actually, Jake Brooker and I. Yeah, we were talking to a gentleman that. Um, he he's a gentleman at our church. He's been visiting our church for several weeks now and him and his wife and his three kids and uh, you, you just never know we you would talk about people you just never know where people stand with Christ and we were in the the gym before Sunday school and we just got to talk and we come to find out this guy's not a believer mm-hmm. and uh, so we, we kind of started pressing him a little bit um, and uh he started saying, "You know, I'm I'm right there," but and then he st- he li- started listing all these things. I, I want to make sure I'm doing it right. Oh, wow. I want to make sure I understand everything. I want to I want and just a list of things. And it it is so obvious that he has completely overcomplicated this in his mind, either through his own doing or hearing from other people. And Jake and I were just really adamant on, you know, this is. This is not complicated. Yeah. It is not yeah. complicated. This is a relationship. And and we kind of likened it to his relationship with his wife. You know, we we kind of made the comment, you know, you didn't you didn't think through all these things when you decided to marry your wife, when you yeah. decided to have a relationship with your wife. It was you you were being led to do that. It it wasn't something you had to think a lot about. But yeah. For some reason, he's he's got in his head that he has to do all these things mm-hmm. before he comes to Christ. So, number one, just pray for this guy. Um, yeah. I'm not going to give his name on here. But number two, maybe you're out there and you're you're struggling with, I've got to get everything right. It it really is as simple as what Rhonda says here. You know, we can we can go to Christ and we can even in the difficult times and. Giving our life to Him is just a decision. 
Yeah. It's a conscious decision that we make. So if you're struggling with that, go to runforgod.com forward slash peace with God and find out more. But I, her story just kind of, it kind of goes in line with, with the conversation I was having with this guy yesterday and, and that sometimes we just need to keep it brutally simple uh, because the gospel is simple. It's profound, but it's simple. It is simple. It is simple. And it, that's, I think that's part of the reason why it's so hard. First of all, it's hard to understand why does God why does God put us allow us to be in those positions where um, it's, you know things are not good, right? Um, but then it, you think that well, if how can it how can something so incredible be so simple, right? And I think that's where people struggle very often. Um, I remember struggling with that when you know when I was unemployed, just mm-hmm. the, the whole idea of why, 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 um, but. It, all it took was a simple turn around, pay attention to what God wants for you, and boom, all of a yeah. sudden everything falls in place. I heard a quote yesterday. Um, a friend of mine told me this quote, and I can't remember who he said that made this quote. For some reason, I want to say he said Abraham Lincoln, but this could be completely wrong. But this was this statement was, you think it's the opposite when you first hear it, but then you got to let it sink in. He said, the measure of a man's faith is not measured in the valleys. It's measured on the mountaintops. And when you first hear it, you're like, man, that sounds opposite. But it's not. In the, in the valleys yeah. is where we run to God. Yeah. And it's so easy at that point because we yeah. have nothing else. But it's on the mountaintops. It's when everything's going good that how, how strong is our faith? Are we still going to God like we did in the valleys? And I don't know, I just thought that was a great quote that, again, went along with, with what we're talking about here. It's, it's sometimes God allows us into those valleys so that, that we do draw near to him. But we've talked about it on here before. What do we do when we start going up that hill and getting on those mountaintops? Are we still going to God in the same way? And that really is the measure of our faith. It really is. That's great. Great point. John 15, 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Again, it's you know just like that experience that I went through being unemployed was super uncomfortable, right? God wants to prune us, but we have to be willing to be pruned. And I remember getting to that point. Um, you know, where I finally said, <laughs> I didn't say God pruned me, but that's what I was saying, right? Mm-hmm. And and we, we when we get to that, um, that's where we find, that, that's, where, that's where we start to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. We have to be, we have to go through these things. It's just, it's no different than a gardener and, and those plants. Um, and so I thought about what, what does it mean to produce fruit, right? And I thought, if, if you're going to produce fruit, that's what that's why God wants to mold us the way he wants to mold us. So why? Why? What, what is that fruit? And the fruit has three characteristics. First, it reflects the character of the tree. Right. An apple tree produces apples. Well, what's what's the tree we're trying to the, the tree is God. And so we, we want to be a reflection of God's character. And we can only do that by producing fruit. And then fruit is obvious, right? It shows. Like if you look at an apple tree, you know it's an apple tree because you see the apples. If it's a cherry tree, you see the cherries. You know that's what it is. And that's 
if we're producing fruit, people look at us, they know that we are a follower of Jesus Christ. And then finally, fruit is for other people's benefit, right? It's um, We should be sharing that fruit with others for their edification. Um, and if we don't, it's going to go bad on the tree. Um, so we have to share our fruit. And so uh, by the I think that's partly what we try to do on this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Is to share, is to share that fruit. But that's to me, that's what this is saying is I need to be that fruit. Mm-hmm. Those are good points, Dane. Hebrews twelve eleven. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know, we've, we've talked about this principle so many times in this podcast, but it bears repeating. We, we get this in training. You know, we just talked about ice baths and all those things. It's, we get done with that hard effort, that hard workout, that hard race, and it's almost like we enjoy it when we get done. As yeah. twisted as that is, we're, we're in agony, we're in pain. We go home, we, we get in that ice bath, we put on those compression socks. We put our legs up. And it's almost like we talked about this a few weeks ago on the podcast about how, you know, we we enjoy the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget who made was making the comment that we were talking about. But it's it's we have joy in that affliction. Mm-hmm. We, we, we are afflicted when when we get to that point in, in running. Not by other people, granted, but Paul, when you read, when you read about Paul, you would almost think he just got done with a race mm-hmm. and not being beat and scourged for his faith. Because it's like, I can almost picture him in prison. Oh, you know, I, this is, um, I'm suffering for the sake of Christ. We can do that in training. But if we can ever, if we can figure out how to do that in our walk with Christ, oh, it would, I mean, and it is. It's it's all in our head. It's all mm-hmm. mental. It's all our perception, our focus. You know, are we looking at the here and now? Or are we looking to eternity? And if we can have that eternal outlook, then those hard things that Christ brings us through that that beating and that getting sore, and we we can almost enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> And I know that sounds so messed up, but but that's what this verse, that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. We get that. That tempo run is not pleasant, but painful. Later on, it produces a harvest of, of righteousness. Later on in running, it produces faster times and more fitness we that's why these two principles are so yeah there's they parallel so well but it it really is the same thing it, it really should be the same outlook it's not the same thing we really should have the same outlook on both yeah yeah and we should like you said we should be thankful for it because here's the thing what if what if your father what if as a kid your father stopped disciplining you. What does that mean? He stops disciplining you. That means he doesn't care. Sure. Right? That means, it, you know, he's just like, well, whatever. We don't want God to do that for us. And so when he's disciplining us, then that's that's a good thing. 
because he's trying to push us in the direction he knows we he, he knows better and he really does and so we should be thankful for it now it's hard to do that in the moment mm-hmm. but I, I can't, you know there's a kid um, he lives near me and um, he, he has some challenges his personality um, I've been tough on him he runs cross country I've been really tough on him and it even got to the point where his his mother didn't want him to talk to me anymore it was because I was being tough on him. I think he needed it. You were giving him truth. I was. And so, anyway, fast forward. Um, he and I haven't talked much. I try not to insert myself there. But this past week, I get a text from him. Hey, can I meet you outside? I need to talk to you about something. And so, I went to talk to him. And he has, some, he has a big challenge in front of him. And he wanted some... Some advice on what to do about this situation. He knew what my answer was before he asked. It's the same thing with God, right? Sure. When we go to God, we we know what the answers are, but we need to go to Him anyway because we need to hear it. And so when we hear those disciplined things that say, "Here's what you need to do," it's a good thing. Not a bad yeah. Thing. Well, it's like when when the kids were young and we were coaching the triathlon team. You know, you could see it on their face. It's like, gosh, he's just, he's coming at us again and saying the same thing. And, and what I would always tell him, I said, you know, you, you shouldn't be concerned when the coach is on you, when the, when the coach is just constantly on you, on you, on you. Mm-hmm. You should be concerned when the coach goes quiet. That's right. Because when I'm on them, that means I, I see something. I know what they're capable of. I think that's exactly how God is with us, with the exception, God doesn't go quiet. God's voice may become, we may not hear it as well, but that's not because God's gone quiet. That's because we've gone away from him. Um, So if, if, you know, that's why I always say it's kind of weird. It kind of goes along with what we're talking about here. Conviction, in a weird way, is comforting. You know, I don't like, you know, God, God, brings conviction on you about something oh man it is it's it's hard to it's hard to sense that it's hard to hear that if you will but it's also comforting at the same time because if i do something and that conviction comes quickly it's kind of like when you hear you know when you see it lightning and then you hear it thunder you know i don't know if this is a wives tale or not but it's an indication of how close the lightning is right but when you do something and how quickly you get that conviction. I don't know if this is biblical or theologically straight. So if it's not, <laughs> feel free to correct me on it. But if, if you do something and that conviction comes immediately, yeah. that's a pretty good sign of God's that you're close yeah. to God. And, and it hurts, but it's comforting at the same time. Yeah, that's a good point. Romans 12, 1, to, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, I think I've misinterpreted this scripture in the past. Because I think a lot of times we read this and we think we need to, and we see people, they withdraw from the world, right? And that is not what it's saying. Um, it, it doesn't read, stay away from the world. 
Um, it says, do not be conformed to the world. And that's an important, very important distinction. Um, I think it's important that we show ourselves as a contrast to the world and that the people in the world see our contrast because that's what we're called to do. Um, and, you know, I had a, a conversation recently where we we're talking about um, we're talking about how they would park. They, they didn't want to run by their ve- They would go somewhere to run. They didn't want to run by their vehicle in the middle of their run because it, they would be tempted to quit. And so they would purposefully park in a way that they wouldn't do that or run a route where they wouldn't do that. And I, I pushed back a little bit and I said, I don't think that's good. I think you need to run by that car. I think you need to be confronted by that car. And I think you need to run by that car because that overcoming that makes you stronger. Sure. So putting yourself in a position to be uncomfortable makes you better whenever we. But what you're, you're not saying putting yourself in a position to where sin is the outcome. Right. Yeah. Right. You're, you're saying putting yourself in a position that makes you, it's a test, not a tempt. That's right. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think that's, that's so true. Um, and I, and I think that kind of this scripture is talking about that. It's talking about sure. overcoming the world, right? Doing again, be, making yourself different from the world. If what we do is we, we give in to what's comfortable then we're going to conform to the world because that's going to be the most comfortable. Sure. Right? That's what the world's all about right now. That's right. Comfort. Question. Are you comfortable with being uncomfortable both in your training and in your spiritual life? Well, I, I think I just kind of answered that one. Um, I, I, I think it's important to make myself uncomfortable on purpose. Mm-hmm. And we do that. That's probably why I enjoy running as much as I do. Sure. Because it's important to do that. Um, how do you do it with your spiritual life? Um, I don't know. For me, I, I, when I see something, you feel like you're drawn to do something. And very often it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Um, and sometimes that thing you're drawn to do is not comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, go over there and talk to that person about, you know, share Christ with somebody that you just met or you know, whatever the circumstances are. Um, but it's important that we follow through on that yearning the Holy, that the Holy Spirit puts in us, right? Yeah. And I think it's, you know, probably, probably the, the most uncomfortable place for me is, is where I was yesterday talking with this gentleman at my church. Even though I was in my church, the conversation went to eternal things and it was obvious by his own admission that, he wasn't a follower of Christ. I think it's sometimes that I didn't put myself in that position yesterday, but we need to put ourselves in that position. Yeah. We need to go out and look. You know, I, I've talked about the time that I went out on the on the street with Mark Elho mm-hmm. while he was street witnessing. Man, that was so uncomfortable, but it gave me a radically different outlook on what he does and it gave me an even deeper, even though I respected him, Deeply, it, it gave me. I respected him that much more. But what it did for me, it it grew me. It, it pushed me outside my comfort zone. Just like running, you have you. You're not going to get better at running if you just run ten minute pace every time you go out. And yeah. it's the same thing in our walk with Christ. We have to do things. We have to be willing to put ourselves in situations, not just when the situations arise, but we need to put ourselves in situations where. It's going to be hard. You yeah. know, Paul could have just kept his head down and stayed quiet. 
you know, Paul was Paul was a, a very notable man in his day, just on the wrong side. But he could have put his head down and just kept quiet. But he always, <laughs> it seems like, in the latter part of his life, put himself in situations that were going to be painful. Yeah. But in the end, he was able to say, I have fought the good fight. Yeah. And that's what that's what that's what we should be focused on mm-hmm. at the end of our life. Not how comfortable can we make ourselves now because the 70, 80, 90 years that we're on this earth is just a, a blink yep. of eternity. Yeah. And that's what we should be focused on. As hard as it is to do. I'm not sitting here saying that I have that figured out because I I don't. I'm far from it. But that should be our goal. And it's not just sharing with people who um, are, are not Christians or don't have a, a for, last week I had lunch with a, a guy who um, man it was, it was just bad circumstances that he had to leave our church it was really uncomfortable I haven't really talked with him um, hardly at all since then and when I have it's been just in passing and so we sat down had lunch last week and I knew the subject was going to come up and it was going to be really uncomfortable to talk about what all happened but we needed to talk about it it was important um, God laid that on my heart to, to, to set up that lunch, whether I really wanted to have that conversation or not. Um, and of course, I'm glad I did. Uh, but I still have some things to follow up on it because of some things that came through. We, we have to do what God wants us to do. Mm-hmm. Another question. Have you been too comfortable in your relationship with Jesus? Are you ready to let God strengthen your spiritual muscles? So I kind of go back to the quote that I, I said earlier right here. The measure of a man is not the measure of a man's faith is not how he how did I how did I say that now? The measure of a man's faith is not what he does in the valleys, it's what he does in the mountaintops. In the valleys, we are uncomfortable, not by choice. Right. You have to wonder, and I'm not saying there's an answer here, but if we make ourselves uncomfortable on the mountaintops, will that keep us out of some valleys? That's, you, I think it will. Because yeah. if, if, we're, if we're making ourselves uncomfortable on the mountaintops, that is, that is keeping that relationship mm-hmm. with Christ. I, I'm convinced that to be comfortable, it, we're not as close to Christ as we need to be. Yeah. Because pick up your cross daily is not a picture of comfort. Mm-hmm. So it stands to reason to me we need to be finding ways to make ourselves uncomfortable for the cause of Christ. Otherwise, we may find ourselves in a valley where we're uncomfortable. Not my choice. I totally agree. And you know what I think happens is I think that, that when good things happen, um, back up. If we don't make ourselves uncomfortable on the mountaintops from time to time, and I'm not saying you need to live uncomfortably every second of no, the day. No, no, no. But if you don't make yourself uncomfortable from time to time, I think we don't know what we miss. Mm-hmm. We don't even know. I think we miss stuff that, God has these great blessings for us that we just never see mm-hmm. and never knew. I mean, 
heavens knows what things that I, I could have experienced in my life if I had just done that. And I, I think that's the really, um, I guess, strange part about that. Uh, well, I mean, think about it. I mean, we, we, you, um, you, you see on movies and things and, and people go off and they have these, this radical success. And I'm thinking of the Hallmark movies. They go all away and they have the, this radical success and they, and I'm saying this in air quotes, they lose themselves. Yeah. They, they lose their identity. And, and it's always the same. It's the same movie. What do they do? They come back home. Yep. Yep. That, that's, even though Hallmark is probably not trying to make this parallel, but that's what we do sometimes. When, exactly when, right. when, I mean, think about, I'm thinking about people in my church. So I'm, I'm putting this personally. You know, they, you see people that have success and they get on these mountaintops and they maybe it's financial success and before you know it they're they're not at church every sunday they've yeah. they've bought things that have taken them away from church now i'm not saying that buying things is bad but if that thing that you're buying is taking you away from church and away from your church family and it's in 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 turn it's pulling you away from god then that is a bad thing so yeah. because that becomes your idol yeah you know it, it can be running it can be a boat it can be you know, a lake house. It can. I, I'm. I'm thinking about looking back on my life. Mm -hmm. the, we need to always remember. I'm not gonna say where we came from, but who saved us? Yep. And that is where we always. We we need to stay as close to that as we can. Having a boat in a lake house and whatever else people out there listening may have. It's not a bad thing. It's when we let those things rise above. It's when we get on that mountaintop and we, we feel like we don't have a need to to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Because let's let's be honest, we can we can buy things in this world that can make us comfortable or the illusion of being yeah. comfortable. But the, it is that. It's just an illusion. And if if that is your focus, you're gonna be brought back to reality. Yeah. It, there's no question. Yeah, I was thinking about the whole idea of the, being on the mountaintop and, and having different experiences like this. I had a couple of ladies who were on the Dalton State cross-country team you know, that I coached last year. Now they're being coached by somebody else. And they think that, that, that it's, it's terrible. This new training is just awful. And I told them, I said, listen, I said, that new training could be the thing you need. Because very often what we need is we need to we need to go through different stimuli, something else, something different than we've done in the past, um, and, and that was the way that I looked at it. It was, and I told them that, and I think one of them, I think, kind of accepted that, internalized it. She had a great season. The other one didn't really accept that, and she didn't have a good season. I think, uh, I think it's the same way in our spiritual life, right? Um, if we're always getting, if we have this routine and the routine never changes, I don't think we're getting everything we can get out of it. And that's part of that, that mountaintop thing, right? It's, sure. it's being uncomfortable. It's comfortable for me to, to pick up my Bible and do that same Bible reading or whatever it is that I do every, every day. Sure. Right? What am I doing different? Because uh, I think that's where we, that's where we really grow. Last question. 
How does God comfort you during trials? In other words, what does he use to decrease your soreness after he has taken the pruning shears to you? <laughs> Again, it's simple. It's, it's having the conversation. It's getting in the word. It's talking him through prayer. Uh, it's surrounding yourselves with, surrounding yourself with people who um, are godly influences and build you up. It's really, it's really not complicated. We can overcomplicate this part, but it's, it's going to him. And it, it is a relationship. Bottom line, it is a relationship. And, you know, just like when I have a hard day, the thing that comforts me the most is having a conversation with my wife about it. Yeah. Talking it through. And and that's that's how it is with our relationship with God. It's, it's really no different. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why God compares our relationship to a marriage. Um, and it's because that is exactly how we should look at it. It's, it's not some voodoo. It's not something complicated. It's not something we have to prepare for. It's going and saying, God, here's what's going on today. I need help. And you will get that peace that surpasses all understanding. Absolutely. Do you struggle with motivation to exercise? Are you looking for something that will challenge you and inspire and motivate you? The Run For God Run Club is just what you need to get off the couch and on your way to a fitter, healthier you. Stop trying to get into better shape and do it with the help and inspiration of thousands of others who are going through the same challenges you face. Whether you are participating in the Couch to Marathon Challenge or any of our other challenges, or you're just looking for a daily pick-me-up to get active, join the Run for God Run Club today. You can join for as little as 27 cents a day. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at runforgod.com. We're back. So I, I got this, uh, this, th- there was a blog, it's called Class Pass Blog, and it talked, it t- asked, what does a runner's high feel like? And I thought this was really interesting. I don't know about a runner's high. People ask me about runner's high all the time. I'm like, I, I don't know what runner's high is, because I don't think it's a specific thing. And so, and other people just, they're just convinced. They know, they know exactly what it feels like. And, um, and this blog kind of, kind of, Proved what I have always said um, that what people call a runner's high is different for everything. And so, if it's different for everybody, then is there really such a thing? I don't know. But here, here are a few of the excerpts that came through. Um, here, here's a guy from New York City. Um, he's run one marathon and three half marathons. And he said, "It says uh, how long does it how long it takes to get the runner's high?" He says, "It's really run specific for me." Lately, during my training, it's occurring at random times throughout my runs where I remember the feeling of achievement of past runs. This past weekend, I was at mile 7 of 10 as I remembered the success of running the New York City Marathon. And then what it's like? It's an endorphin rush of accomplishment. It's the moment where the pain of training transitions to a euphoria. Sometimes it's brief. Sometimes it lasts for a mile or two. But it's the best part of the run. See, the times I've experienced it is exactly like that. Yeah. That's exactly how I experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. Where you just, a, a thought comes into your mind and you feel good. Somebody, you see somebody that you know, um, somebody says your name, something like that. 
and and all of a sudden you feel. Are you here? I always go back to the the first time I did a an Ironman, and it was being a mile away, but you could hear the finish line. Yeah, and up until that point, I mean, it was agony. It was it was mile twenty four <laughs> of the run on an Ironman when you've been out there for twelve hours, and all the pain went away. I felt great. Mm-hmm. And I, I know it was a runner's high because you have a crash after a high, right? Yeah. I crossed the finish line, and for like five minutes, you know, it's just um, sensory overload. Yeah. And then reality come back, and it's like <laughs> I'm dying. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in that sense, you did. I did have that high. Yeah. And after every high is a low. Is a low. And, yeah. Uh, but I've, I've, I have sensed that on other runs before, but that is the most obvious one that I've ever had. Yeah, yeah, and I don't like, know what that is. I mean, I don't. It's just it's exactly yeah. the way he describes it here. Yeah, yeah. Well, Carrie uh, from Marietta, Georgia, says this. She says uh, that well, she's completed ten half marathons, four marathons, and she's training for another one. Um, and she says, it says, how long does it take to get the runner's high? And she's very specific. She says six miles. There is something magical about the six mile mark for me. Whether I'm running ten miles or eighteen, something kicks in at mile six. I relax. Stop thinking or obsessing about every little thing going on in my life. As a mom of three, I start to feel the rhythm of the run, my heartbeat, shoes on the pavement, and the music of the podcast in my ears. Um, I don't believe in easy miles. Every mile is tough. Every mile is earned. But after six, something clicks, and I'm in that happy place. So I wouldn't call that the runner's high. I would call that getting in the groove. Yeah. yeah You're getting flow, in the rhythm. The yeah. And for me, I've always said it's you know roughly two miles. It's like the first two miles of any run is just horrible. Yeah. You know, it's nothing feels right, especially as we're getting older. You know, yeah. nothing feels like you, it's almost like you got to get everything lubricated and, and get those pistons going. It's like an old rusty engine. Yeah. You know, it takes a little while. So I, I wouldn't call that the runner's high. I would call that getting in your groove, getting in a rhythm, whatever you want to call it, uh, getting yeah. the gears greased. Well, and then this one comes from a lady from New York City. She said she's run two half marathons. And it says, how long does it take to get the runner high? As soon as the run is over, I start feeling it. So what it's like before a run, I'm typically dreading the physical challenge before me and honestly can't wait till it's over. But after my run, whether it's 10 minutes or three hours, I feel incredibly energetic and optimistic. After my last half marathon, which involved training in the snow, my running partners and I immediately disregarded all complaints and decided we wanted to sign up for another race. Running, more so than any other workout I do, makes me feel really accomplished since it is, it's only you and your mind once you start. So I would say that one's accomplishment. That one's not a runner's high. Yeah. That one's, that's why you see all these memes out here that shows a person at mile 24. It says, I'm never doing another marathon in my life. And then at the finish line, they're like, oh, look, a registration for another yeah. marathon. <laughs> yeah. That is that is a couple. I think out of the three, the first one, in my opinion, is the true But that's high. your experience. It is. That, me, that's my point yeah. with, with runner's high is I don't think runner's high is a particular thing. Right. I think runner's high is interpreted by everybody individually, and it's different. I mean, here's three different takes, completely sure. different, right? Um, and I know, I mean – I know I feel better on some runs than others. Um, I, I just like that lady, and like you mentioned, I get into a groove after a particular period of time. 
depends on the run and, and how far I'm going. I usually feel better. I, I get it into a better, more flow state, I call it, in long runs than I do in shorter runs. You don't think it's somehow um, scientific, though? Because, I mean, just like just like a high of any kind, a lot of times it's it's a chemical reaction. It's it's a dopamine dump. I do think that, yeah. Somehow. So I, I would think, to me, the, the, the description of number one is probably a chemical reaction that's going because she used the word or he used the word euphoria. You know, that's that's what happens when you get a high. That's what, you know, I'm going back to my bull riding days. When you sit on the back of a 2,000-pound animal, there's a dopamine dump that goes in. And it's the same feeling that I have felt like at the end of that Ironman. It's, yeah. it's the same sensation. And I would think that's something that could actually be measured, I would think. But I think these things, these other two situations that are different than that, I think those are also. You think that's a dopamine dump? I think dump? those are all, yeah, I think they're all chemical reactions. Yeah, maybe so. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. It I is, never really yeah. thought about it that but much. But you're saying you've never experienced it. Well, I've experienced all of these things okay. in one way or another. Okay. So that's why I, that's why I say sure. I'm not sure what I would call the runner's high. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, it's a time for Dean's thoughts. And that's a time when I share something that I've written about the intersection between running and faith. Well, I know you love the idea of a pack rat. <laughs> so what do pack rats, runners, and Christians have in common? Nothing. <laughs> this one's <laughs> called pack rats. The definition of the word pack rat is a person who collects or hoards especially unneeded items. If you have ever watched an episode of Hoarders, You've seen what happens when a pack rat is able to carry their habit to an extreme. But many of us simply hold on to things we think are valuable. Others may think we're crazy, but I see value in holding on to my father's old reel-to-reel tape deck. No one else on the planet would see any value in that. My father has an old radio that we used to keep in our house when I was a kid. I want that radio. Will I ever play anything on it? Nope. But I'm a pack rat. (laughs) I envy people who are able to throw away things as soon as they think they'll never need them again. Their houses are usually neat and uncluttered, and they are the opposite of a pack rat. What would you call that? Sane, maybe? (laughs) Anyway, I'm not that guy. But if you're looking for an odd-sized bolt, I just might have it. (laughs) It's funny how one person can see so much value in something that another person sees as junk. Well, isn't it that way? Isn't that the way a regular runner or walker sees their exercise choice? I see value in running, but there are people who would only run to save their lives. They have absolutely no interest in running on purpose. Us runners and walkers are a little like pack rats. Maybe you're like me and you're both. To us, there is no doubt about the value of exercise. We have felt it. We know it makes us healthier because we have experienced it. Why do I hold on to that old real real tape deck? I never use it, but it makes me feel good to see it. Maybe it's not in the same way as running, but it is definitely a spirit booster. Many people wonder why many people wonder why people are pack rats. If you're a pack rat, you wonder how people are not pack rats. You're a runner. Many people look at you and wonder why anyone would do that to themselves, but you understand. And to the unsaved, They look at a Christian and wonder, why do they believe what they believe? A pack rat understands why they are a pack rat. 
A runner understands why they are a runner, and a Christian understands why they are a Christian. All of them go back to the way we feel. It is the feeling we have connected to the thing that puts it all in perspective. So why am I talking about this? Well, if you want to convince someone that they need to start exercising, they need to understand that it will change the way they feel. Sure, it may help you to lose weight, but you will feel better. We want to share that feeling with others. In the same way, when we are sharing Christ with people, it may be important to share why you believe, but you should quickly move to how it makes you feel. Why? Because we all want to know what's in it for me. And we know that if they can ever get that feeling of Christ in their heart, it will change their life forever. Most things we do are motivated by how they make us feel. A pack rat feels better with their stuff. A runner feels better after slogging through a a long run. And a Christian feels better the closer they are to Jesus Christ. Well, you and I are complete opposites here. Yep. You know, we just just had this situation recently where... uh, you know, you, you, you gave me a television that I, I, used, really? I used at the church. It was that one that used to be in the, in the building at your house. It was on a stand, a oh, rolling yeah, yeah, stand. Yeah. And uh, we used it for, in our church for a while. Well, we've remodeled our church, and we've, we've got TVs and all these different rooms. We, we didn't need it anymore. And so um, they put it in storage. They just took it to a storage building and put it in storage. And then I needed it for uh, an event I had. And then uh, I took it home because I don't want it to be in storage. It doesn't need to be in storage. It needs to be used. So that's, that's just my tendency is to think I need that. So it's down in my basement now and I'll, I'll use it at some point. So we just moved and people were telling us, oh, you've lived there. I mean, we lived in our house for 20 years. It's going to be horrible. You've got so much stuff. No. No, you don't. Was it true? Yeah. My rule is I I kind of have this rule that if you haven't touched it in one year, then you don't need it. Yep. Get rid of it. And so much so, I, Holly tells this story some, so I'll tell it. But you know, I'll I'll, I'll have these clean out days sometimes, and I'll just back a trailer in and I will load it up and either take it to Goodwill. Or Providence, or to the dumpster, or to the dump. One of those three places. It's it's leaving my house, and sometimes I'll do this when Holly's out of town. Yeah, because I know I know <laughs> that as I she will be taking it off the trailer as fast as I'm putting it on. So this one year, um, I was loading stuff on the trailer, and there was this uh, hammock. It's one of those hammocks that. It's you don't have to have two trees. It's like on a stand. Yeah, and we had had this thing for years, and it's never been taken out of the box. So I put it on the trailer. I knew where it came from, but we still haven't touched it in years. And so my at the time, my cousin was living across the street from me, and his daughter came in. She she was probably I don't know eight or nine or ten at the time, and uh, she said, "Mitchell, can I have this hammock?" I said, "Sure." And uh, so she took the hammock home. I went and unloaded the trailer. I mean, Holly come home. She knew no different because she had not seen any of this stuff in a year. So she wasn't missing it. I thought I was in the clear. And uh, 
So Holly comes in one afternoon and she said, uh, Lily came down and asked me to help her with something. Lily's my cousin's daughter. Yeah. I said, really? She said, yeah. I went up, She asked if I could help her do something. And so I went up there and she wanted me to help her put a hammock together. And as we were putting it together, I said, oh, she said, I got Mitchell one just like this for Father's Day a few years ago. <laughs> and she said, yeah, this was Mitchell's. He had it in the dump. He had it in the trailer to go to the dump. So I Whoop. got busted. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't even noticed otherwise. She would never have noticed. <laughs> but uh, So that's my, that's my anti-pack rat story that sometimes – It'll bite you. Yeah. You never have that problem. I don't, unfortunately, uh, because I, I want to be. I want to. I aspire to be more like you. I, I want to throw stuff away. Yeah, but I just have such a hard time with it. And I think I, I don't know if if part of this is when I was growing up, I didn't have a whole lot, and I really think that for a lot of people, that's a lot. When you when you watch the show Hoarders, you find out that all those people have a a thing, a reason why they are the way they are. And I think that because I grew up with, you know, all of my friends had more stuff than I had. And uh, and growing up that way, I think, is why I just tend to hang on to stuff, you know, just in case I need it. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, I think I'm a, um, you know, nowadays they, they tie to, they call it minimalist. I think I was wired that way. I, I wouldn't put that label on myself because I do like things. I like things that I use. Yeah. And I like quality. Yeah. But you know, I'm I'm not going to go live in a 400 square foot hut like some of these people do nowadays. Yeah. But I do. I, I like. I, I don't like complexity. I don't like a lot of stuff. Yeah. I like. Yeah. 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 You 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 might have a heart attack just if you walk into my shop. Well, you were talking about those show hoarders. I can't even watch it. Yeah. I I, I watched like 10 minutes of one episode one time. I was like, I got to turn this off. <laughs> It was making me feel dirty just watching. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? It is. I mean, even for me, being you know, being a little bit of a pack rat, watching that is so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's one of those things that to each his own. Yeah. But this is why our stories are so important, right? Uh, the, the way things make us feel is so important. Um, and and I back to this point of sharing Christ. That's why. When we share our stories, we share our feelings about why we feel the way we do. It's it's not just about the fact. I mean, we were just talking earlier about facts and why we believe Jesus is who he says he is based on scientific evidence. And that's important. That's important. Mm -hmm. It's important for us to know that. But what's more important is how it makes us feel. Sure. Well, it's funny you say that because yesterday when I was talking to this gentleman, you know, when he started saying the things he was saying, you know, it was obviously very analytical. He was trying to analyze why he should be a follower of Christ. And, you know, it, it's it's kind of like a hoarder. You don't walk up to a hoarder and say, hey, you're a hoarder. You have a problem. You need to fix it. That's right. In the same way, I didn't go to this gentleman and say, look, you're just overthinking this. You need to just stop what you're – you have to make them see – you have to make them feel or get a picture of what it feels like to be the other way. Yeah. So with a hoarder, you could take them somewhere and say, this is what things could look like. Yesterday, I started telling this gentleman, I said, you know, it's, it's, it's not so much the brain. It's not so much analytical. It's, it's the heart. It's, 
And I, I gave him the example of how I came to Christ. And it was, I was ignoring the feeling that I had after listening to certain sermons and just feeling like I needed to crawl up underneath the pew. And I, I told him, I said, you know, nowadays when, when we go to races and I'm given the opportunity to talk, I ask people a simple question. Do you know that you know that you know that if you die today, where you would spend eternity? And I said, you're going to have one of two feelings. You're either going to have stress, consternation. You're going to have that, that, that anxiety feeling. Are you going to have complete peace? And his own words was, I have stress when you said it. Yep. And I said, you accept Christ as your personal order and savior. This is how you know God is real. This is, you can point to this one thing. You can accept Christ and ask him to be Lord and savior of your life and repent of your sins. And you can ask that same question 30 minutes later and there'll be peace. Mm-hmm. Science can't explain that. That's right. But we can. And it's a it's a living God who came to earth to save our souls so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven, came up and took residence in our hearts. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and it immediately changes. That's why I talk about my dad so much, is because mm-hmm. I call it the tale of two Bruces. You know, mm-hmm. the the Bruce that was on an operating bed going into operation, not saved, terrified, terrified. I see it in his eyes. And then the last time he was going into the operating room, years later after he got saved, to an operation that he may not come out of, complete peace. Mm. No, no instrument can measure that. Mm. No scientist can explain that. Scientifically, it's not a dopamine dump. You know, we were talking about mm-hmm. science a while ago. Nothing can explain that. Yeah. That's how you know it's real. That's uh, that one thing. That's not how we feel. Would you like to experience the Bible in a different way than you've ever done before? Well, you can join me, Coach Dean, as I read through the entire Bible every day for a full year. You don't want to miss hearing this transplanted Southern boy try to pronounce those biblical names now, do you? It may be good for a laugh. In addition, I share running and walking tips and some inspirational quotes along the way. Get your daily dose of the Bible from a runner's perspective in the Run for God Run Club Walk Through the Bible. You must be a member of the Run Club to get access. So if you're not a member, join today. If you are a member, just find a Walk Through the Bible under the Nationwide Challenge. Every week I share a reason why running and or walking is so awesome. How about this one? It beats housework. So the housework's still there when you get back in. So listen, I'm sitting on, I'm sitting on the, the, there's, I got a couch there in my office and I'm sitting on the couch. I got my head back and I'm just, I'm trying to think of something new for this segment. And, uh, so Debbie walks, comes walking in and she says, what are you hallucinating or something? I don't remember what she, something like that. 
Um, and I told her I was trying to come up with a new reason why running or walking is so awesome. And she, without missing a beat, she said, well, it beats housework. <laughs> I was like, you know, Thanks, that's Debbie. true. It does. <laughs> so that's our reason for this week, Debbie. Debbie's, so reason uh, 191. Yeah. That's impressive. When you really sit and think about it, you have come up with 191 reasons why running is so awesome. You know, That's I, a book right there. You know, I was telling somebody that uh, we, we were talking about the Bible in a year, and she was appreciative of the Bible in a year stuff that I've been doing. And I said, you know, the hardest thing about the whole Bible in a year thing is coming up with 365 running tips. Yeah. <laughs> and I said uh, – I said, it, it's been really, really hard. And I said, you don't, you don't come up with 365 at one, in one sitting. Sure. So you're not sure if you, you know, how many times you've repeated yourself. Mm-hmm. Surely I've repeated myself on there. And she says, you know, I don't know that you have. I, if you have, I haven't noticed it. And so I thought, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> 365 running tips. So yeah. there's a lot. Running's a little more complicated than we think, I guess. Well, last week, uh, was the New York City Marathon last weekend, and um, it was so much fun to watch. Um, although the the broadcast was um, not great, but the uh, watching the race was great. Tamrat Tola from Ethiopia he set a new course record. He ran under two oh five on the New York City Marathon course. Mm. That's incredible. That's a hilly course. Um, I know the new shoes have made a big difference, but I also think back to when Alberto Salazar. Back in the day when he ran 208 in New York without the super shoes in the 80s, it makes you really appreciate how incredible that man was um, back then. So they say that the shoes are good for three to five minutes. If that's the case, wow, he's just as he was just as good back then as they are these days. So it's pr- pretty cool. On the women's side, the race was man, it was so much fun to watch. It came down to a showdown between Helen O'Beary. And Latessenbet Gidey, they're both um, just great, great marathoners. Well, Latessenbet Gidey was this was only her second marathon, um, but she ran the fastest debut ever in her first one, and so and and it was so much fun to watch because of this. Gidey, she just looks like a gazelle when she runs. She looks like the typical um, East African, where she just looks like she, it's effortless to her, right? And Helen O'Beary looks like she's dying in the first mile. Her head is all over the place. She moves her arms excessively. She's, she just looks like she's dying the whole way. And so it was really fun to watch them run against each other. And um, who do you think won? The ugly one. <laughs> Helen O'Beary won. Um, just the ugly running form. Ugly, ugly running form <laughs> one. Yes, yes. Um, but it, it was fun to watch. Um, it, and again, it was like watching one graceful, dainty girl mm-hmm. run against a bulldozer. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I love both of these ladies. They both have great attitudes and they're, they're good, good ladies. But man, what a, what a cool race to watch because of the contrast in style. So um, check that out. If you want to go back and look at, at a serious contrast in style, that was really, really fun to watch. And you would have sworn watching it. There was no way Gaday wasn't going to win. Were they that shoulder race. to shoulder for a while, or? Oh yeah, most the okay. whole race basically. Yeah, they were they were in a big pack for a long time. The race was really slow. The first half was really really slow. Yeah. So there were a bunch there together, but over the last five miles or so, they were they were shoulder to shoulder mm. the whole time. 
And so somebody had to break sooner or later. And I was convinced that uh, G'day would win it. And she did not. So it was, it was fun to watch. Um, Of course, in the men's side, there wasn't any suspense because Tola took off. He ran two Oh, one Oh two 30 something in the first half. So he, he went out at, at that strong, fast pace from the very beginning and uh, dared anybody to stay with him. <laughs> and there weren't many. Uh, all right. How about this controversial statement? You know, we love to talk about controversial things on here. Not. But, <laughs> you know, tennis, I think, was the first sport to pay men and women the same, right? Uh, I think. I may be wrong about that, but I think that's correct. And I've always said that professional women's tennis is more fun to watch than men's professional tennis. I don't know if you watch tennis at all, but I think the women's game is more fun to watch. It's And the only other sport that I say that about is probably gymnastics. I prefer watching women's gymnastics over men's mm-hmm. gymnastics. But most sports, I prefer to watch the men over the women um, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know, basketball, it's just the athleticism of the men is, is just seems – like there's a big gap. Mm-hmm. But in running, I kind of like both. Mm-hmm. In this case, I enjoyed the women's race more than the men's race. In a lot of races, I enjoy the men's race more than the women's race. But running is a sport where I feel like it's more equal, mm-hmm. right? In, in um, kind of how you watch and which one you prefer to watch, it's just about the matchup more than it is anything else. And I think that's kind of fun. And I think that goes all the way down to the track races as well. You know, I think that um, watching um, – her name's escaping me right now, but the one that set several track world records this year, 5K, 1,500 meters, um, just watching her run was just something special mm-hmm. to watch. Uh, but then on the other side of that, when you watch uh, Kipchoge <laughs> run a marathon, it's incredible yeah. to watch, right? So it's it's pretty cool running one of the few sports that's like that I think, um, and you know here's what uh, an interesting thing you know we've talked about how women seem to be closer to the men the longer you run mm-hmm. right like ultra marathons women seem to be much closer to the men than the short races, but when you look at it that's not true. So if you look at all the world records for men and women. Women are about 9% behind the men at almost every distance. Really? Don't you find that interesting? Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Um, some are a little bit lower than that. Some are a little bit higher than that. But they're all within 1% or 2% of 9%. Um, so I was kind of surprised when I thought that. So that brings us to today's trivia question. And that is, um, of all the distances – in Olympic track and field events, in which event are the women closest to the men on a percentage basis? Which one are the women closest to the men? These are Olympic track and field events. Okay, so we're not talking about marathon and ultra marathons, things like that. Um, if you know the answer to that, then you can send that to dean at runforgod.com. And if you're the first person, and we had a bunch of people answer the trivia question mm-hmm. last week. Um, but send that answer to Dean at runforgod.com. Be the first person and you will win $20 in the Run for God store. What do you think? You got any ideas on what you think it would be or you kind of wide open on this one? Um, I'm really wide open. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. I, I have a guess, but it's I, just a guess. I saw a kind of a breakdown of all the different distances and I just I, I thought it was fun to watch. Mm. 
So yeah. Cool. Hey, before we get out of here, uh, if you're listening right now, be sure to tune in next week. We've got some big news. So uh, we're, we're, we're continuing down this uh, upward merger. And so we got a little bit more news next week. And we'll be talking about that next week. So be sure to tune in um, next week as we uh, enter the week of Thanksgiving. we got some interesting news that we're going to share with everybody. So tune in. Tune in for sure. Yep. All right. Let me leave you with this motivational thought of the week. This one also comes from Debbie. This is one of her favorite quotes. So I asked her, I said, give me one of your favorite quotes. And this is the one she gave me. It comes from Helen Keller from the book, Let Us Have Faith, which she wrote in 1940. And she said this, life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. I love that quote. And Debbie loves that quote. And uh, I think it's fantastic. All right. 191 episodes in the books. That's just incredible. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast. We so appreciate it. I was, somebody sent me an email this week that said they have listened to every episode of the Run for God Run Club podcast. Wow. And I was so thankful. So that's, um, I don't know how many of you out there have done that, but um, we so appreciate that. Sure. And keep listening. And again, we listen to feedback. You've got some feedback on things you'd like to see, things you'd like to hear things you think we can do better you're listening always right yep all right well until next week may god bless every step of every run and or walk go out there and shine your light good job Dean. For more information about the Run for God ministry, go to runforgod.com. If you have questions about your salvation, click on the Peace with God tab. There's nothing more important. Thanks for joining us today.